electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the true state of stocks with earnings, interest rates, and the war in the Middle East impacting sentiment. Markets are on the move. The Investment Committee is here to guide you through all of that. Joining me for the hour today, Bryn Talkington, Joe Terranova, Jim Labenthal, Steve Weiss. Told you the markets are on the move. Really, market, there you go. Stocks are down uh, and rates are up. There's the 10-year, 491. Joe, to me, that's, that's really the biggest story to talk about. You had two things to keep your eyes on, really, over the last, you know, now you move forward here. Earnings and rates. Uh, earnings have been pretty good for the most part. Um, rates are not going in the right direction, though. 100 uh, percent. To a certain extent, you're watching oil a little bit, but yeah, it's, about, it's, it's about 10 year and it's about the 10 year approaching 5 percent, uh, 30 year above 5 percent. And this is a challenge. This is a problem. We know what's coming on November 1st uh, with the Treasury announcing what their supply is going to be. I've said yesterday I don't like the premise that the Federal Reserve is going to continue to do rates because the bond market is doing the work for the Federal Reserve. So collectively, what's the impact on the market? I'll tell you this from someone who is bullish on the ability for the fourth quarter to be positive, mm-hmm. driven by the Magnificent Seven. Today's an ugly reversal. Today is not a day for the bulls. Today is a day for the bears. This is not a pretty reversal. And the only thing keeping the market from deteriorating further is Apple, Alphabet, and Microsoft. They are providing a degree of resiliency from the market moving even lower. Well, we're going to get into really what's at stake. Um, we got Netflix and Tesla after the bell, too. So you got a good test for the NAS. I mean, Apple right now is, is negative. A, a lot of, you know, Microsoft and Alphabet are, are barely positive. You know, Jimmy, I, I'll go to you um, because you are a representation of the bullish perspective. Um, so you got rates. It almost feels like that 5% on the 10 years uh, formality at this point, that it's going to get there. Not that far. What are we, close. eight basis points away? Yeah, it's pretty close. Um, look, that's certainly an issue. I'm not sure that that's the issue facing the day today. I hear you, Joe. I actually think that it's the Middle East. I mean, that news from yesterday about the, the hospital was, was jarring to everybody. And I think the markets have been on edge for several Wouldn't days. Wouldn't yields be lower? What's that? Wouldn't yields be lower for the Middle back, East? I'll come right back to it. I got you. All right. Okay. I hear you on it. All right. But I think the, mar- the equity markets right now, I think they're a little bit on edge on what Iran's saying, which, by the way, you don't sell on every time Iran rattles the swords. You'd have no money at this point in time. <clears throat> I think that's what the, got the equity markets on edge. To your point, though, this is a question in terms of the yields of what's the more powerful force, declining inflation or increasing deficits. Right now, it sounds like increasing deficit. I don't think that's going to last, and here's why. If you look at that last CPI report, and this is courtesy of Edyard Denny, our mutual friend, you know, if you strip out shelter, which we know is lagging, 
both the core and the headline was at 2%, which is right where the Fed wants it. And we know that shelter's lagging, so I think it's going to continue to come down. That takes a lot of pressure off of the Fed, and that's one force that, were count, that would counterbalance what's going on with deficits. Ultimately, could you get to 5%? Of course, Scott, because as you pointed out, you're eight, nine basis points away. But I don't think that's where you reside. I think you're looking at a peak in rates because of what's happening with inflation. I mean, you got, you know, look, the industrials are, are, are bad today. The transports are bad. We're going to get into some of those. Weiss, you want to, you know, um, counterbalance, if you will, what, yeah. what, what Jimmy's perspective is? Because, I mean, obviously yeah. the, the rate creep um, is going to weigh on sentiment. And, you know, 5% may be that line in the sand where, you know, if you start to get there and then above, you know, investors are going to have to make some real decisions on where they want to be. Yeah, so I'd say that, yes, uh, what happened with the hospital in Gaza was a contributing factor, of course. But what was stark to me yesterday was that despite the tremendous run-up in yields yesterday, really, really significant, and we haven't seen that kind of one-day move, that the market was still moving higher until that complacency set aside, likely triggered by the, by the hospital uh, uh, bombing, uh, and then the market sold off. So, so I think this goes to what I've been saying, the market's too complacent. So the issue isn't only the Fed raising rates. The issue is that China is one of the, it's the largest holder of our, of our debt, right, of our treasuries. It's the largest buyer of our treasuries. Can they keep buying? So you really need a global view of markets, not just global in terms of geography, but global in terms of what you look at. And can China continue to buy our bonds when they've got to support their economy? They've got massive, massive issues, no secret. So that's one thing. Mm -hmm. So rates may continue to go up, as we are seeing, when the Fed basically, I think, is done. So even if the Fed's done, for two reasons, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because rates are where they are. They're going to stay where they are. And that's influencing corporate behavior. And number two, our, our, our paper is less attractive in terms of the alternatives that sovereigns have in buying it. And then what I would say is that earnings have been okay. They haven't been great. They're always okay, right? They don't have to be great right Exactly, now. exactly. But I think the expectation is the read-through from this quarter to the next quarter. They'll be even better well, we next see, we haven't even that. gotten the most important ones, I know, but, as, but, as you would admit. And being, no, I, I, I do admit, but, but when you look at what the measures of the economy are, J.B. Hunt will talk about it later, mm. but those are not coming through so great in terms of, show, of the economy. UAL, same thing. So we could talk about isolated instances like UAL, low flights to Israel, to pricing. Whatever. I think the direction's still down. So it is a big week um, for all the reasons that we discussed. You got the Fed chair tomorrow in front of the New York Economic Club. Probably last commentary we'll get from Jay Powell ahead of the November meeting. Uh, Chris Waller, Fed governor, is speaking as we speak. Steve Leisman is ready with that. So what are the headlines right now, Steve, from for Mr. Waller? Because he is a voting member. So as you know, it obviously carries a little more weight when Waller talks, when Powell speaks tomorrow. What are we learning? Yeah, and Waller's probably the senior economist at the, and among the governors of the Fed, certainly one of the most outspoken. He says the Fed can wait, watch, and see how the economy evolves before figuring out what to do with policy here. He says if the economy softens, the Fed can wait on further rate hikes. And he says recent data has been overwhelmingly positive for both maximum employment and stable prices, the Fed's dual mandate. The question is whether all of that is going to continue. He does warn if the economy shows continued strength, more policy tightening is likely. He's concerned 
Infl the progress that they've seen in inflation might not continue. He notes that housing inflation hasn't really helped very much. And the super core, the one watched closely by Powell, uh, core services ex-housing has not really slowed. One other thing he says he's put some downward pressure on inflation could come from monetary policy and reduced household spending and increases in interest rates. Also, he's watching, Scott, the uh, uh, recent run-up in yields and, and saying that could also play a factor. So he's, you know, he was one of the more hawkish ones. I interviewed him in early September and he said, you know what, we can be patient here. So that patience continues, even though things are kind of, you know, leaning the wrong way in terms of things being stronger. I don't know why that's wrong, but it's wrong for somebody who wants the Fed to, to cut. But they're leaning the wrong way in terms of stronger uh, economic growth. Still, you, he even alludes to it. And we've talked about this almost every day. There's been a Fed speaker. The idea of the market has already done what the Fed, you know, would have would have wanted to happen anyway. So that's why he says you can wait and watch. I'd be surprised if the message is any different tomorrow from the chair himself. No, I was just trying to game that out myself, Scott, and think about like what he's going to say. I guess it's this time tomorrow he's going to be talking. Um, I don't think he has a reason to make a, a decision right now. And if you don't have a pressing reason and somebody gives you time, Scott, I think you take it. And I think the market is giving him time. And I think you can find that time if you look at the outlook for the Fed rate structure, which is very low probability that November hike goes up a little bit in December, and now it's 51% by January. So mm. if there's no compelling reason to do it and you have a little more time to see how things shake out, is this a, a strong growth we have in the third quarter? And, and Waller puzzles over this. Does the momentum continue into the fourth quarter, or do we get payback with more of a slowdown in the fourth quarter? If he has some time to see that, I think he'd take it. Yeah, Steve, appreciate it very much. That's sure. Steve Leisman, the headlines from Christopher Waller speaking as we speak. So, Bryn, as I come to you, let's move it forward. Let's move off the Fed and talk about what's going to happen at the end of the day today, and that's Netflix and Tesla. Um, you own Tesla. It's interesting that the third quarter is usually the best stock reaction for uh, an earnings report for Tesla. It averaged a one-day, this according to Bespoke, it's averaged a one-day gain of four and two-thirds percent on its 13 Q3 earnings reaction day since going public. No other quarter has seen similar gains. Um, so it's the first of the mega caps really to, to get out of the gates. What's riding on it? Well, I think, first of all, if you look at the options market, the option market says we're going to get a plus or minus six and a half percent move. So I think a little bit higher than uh, what, what Bespoke was uh, saying we've seen in the past, higher volatility one way. I think that people are going to come in on what are margins and are we, are we at a trough in margins, which we won't know until the future, right? So, so they can say we're at a trough in margins. But I think we want to hear about you know, what they're doing on the AI front. You know, Tesla's been pivoting away, or actually Tesla's been focusing on taking all the videos from all the, all the Tesla drivers using full self-driving, putting that into, up into their AI model to help the full self-driving functionality work a lot better. I think they're gonna talk a lot about that. They've been having a lot of success, but I think from a fundamental viewpoint, those fundamental analysts, which you have to look at it, are gonna wanna see conversations around margins. And so, you know, it's all about the S and the Y. They continue to be some of the best-selling cars in the world. Um, but the margin story in the short term, I think, can give a potential of a negative six and a half versus a positive six and a half. So um, I never take a bunch of, I own this long term because I think that 
This is not just a car company. If it were just a car company, I wouldn't own it. And I think what, what we want to see is what they're doing on the AI front to keep investors like myself interested in the stock longer term. Yeah, Joe, I mean, you have it in the Joe T. It, I think it's fair to say it's probably the most rate sensitive of the mega caps. You can see, you know, you've, you've got some decent action actually today in the NASDAQ. It's not like uh, every stock is down because rates have moved towards 5% on the 10-year. Um, Apple's, you know, been volatile, as we said, it's positive now. Microsoft's positive, Alphabet's positive, Broadcom's positive, uh, and the like. Um, what about Tesla here? And it's more importantly than, you know, Tesla specifically, its importance right now um, to the NASDAQ, which you're betting big on. Well, it's, it's the first step into understanding what the mega cap uh, names are going to be reporting. Um, I think with, with Tesla, it's, it's more about price momentum any versus the fundamentals. And that's really the reason why uh, we have it in, in Joe T right now. The, the fundamentals are somewhat on retreat. I mean, they're cutting prices. So the revenue estimates are down. Uh, Bryn could correct me if I'm wrong, but I think nearly 50 percent for the quarter. And I think Bryn's right. It's, it's about the margins. It's about the automotive gross margins. Do they fall below 20 percent, which there are some expectations that they're going to in an environment where you're heavily discounting the price of your cars? That, that doesn't speak towards strong fundamentals. So unfortunately for, for us, it's been nothing more than studying price and seeing the momentum. They're going to have to prove themselves on the fundamental quality side with a strong earnings report today. Uh, so I would almost categorize that as somewhat guilty uh, with the need to prove their innocence. Yeah, Weiss, you got you know Netflix today as well. I mean, these are important stocks to get out of the gates before the real parade starts yep. of the mega of the mega caps. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I don't think there's a read-through in the fundamentals for either Netflix or Tesla in particular to the others. Tesla, I just wouldn't own it here, plain and simple. It is, it, it, it's, it's a, the cap, the cap X that they have to spend as an auto company, now they may be more efficient, they're fully integrated, but it's still a cap X machine, number one. Number two, you now are having a, a glut and maybe that's too strong a word, of EVs. You've got that basically the buying public has said, hey, we're done, we're not so convinced, we got battery you know, stress or whatever. So that's affecting it. So as you have more, number one, you have more competitive models, right? And number two, you've got them reducing price. That's not good for Tesla. Then, of course, you've got China, where 20% of mm -hmm. Tesla's business is, and sales have been declining there despite major price cuts. So I think good here. Now, people talk about, where well, they've got this massive battery charging network. Again, that's CapEx. And again, no battery charging companies make money, and the road to them making money is just not evident. So I don't think anything good here. No, but if they have arguably a monopoly on that, um, and you've seen them sign these deals with GM and Ford. Right. I mean, they're going to be the player. Well, yeah. they're, they're, they're going to be the player. They'll have the biggest network. Volkswagen has a huge network also. I know. Who's talking about that? Well, only, only Tesla. No, you know what I mean? Like, fans are talking Steve. About it, but but, uh, <laughs> but, but for good reason, But though. the point is, is that they're not profitable. And in the meantime, you've got to spend a lot of money. And given what the pickup is in demand on Tesla cars, battery cars, it's just not going to show that's going to so be the, the other story we're keeping our eyes on uh, quite literally today down in D.C., uh, we'll show you a live shot here of the floor of the House where we'll see if the second day, uh, second vote is the charm for Jim Jordan is the Republicans try and elect a Speaker of the House. So we'll keep an eye on the vote. And Emily Wilkins is going to join us once that vote is complete. Let us know how 
uh, that all goes down. So that's yet another thing that's happening in the news that's important to keep your, your eye on. So, you know, Bryn, as I take a look at, you know, arguably the two most important tech stocks right now, NVIDIA and Apple, just because of its sheer size, mm. it's not like they're trading all that wonderfully, right? NVIDIA especially, you've got these new export restrictions, that's weighing on the stock. The price target gets cut at City to 575 from 630 to 600 from 630 at Morgan Stanley. Um, there's like no margin for error right now with, with NVIDIA, given you know, where the guidance has gone and where the stock has followed. There's literally no margin for error in, the, in this stock, as maybe we're, we're finding out, because NVIDIA is down in a week about 9%, and it's down a little more than 10% in three months. Yeah, and also, you know, the 200-day moving average is a bungee jump. The 200-day moving average is all the way down at 340. So there's a lot of white space between where it is now and then. And I think that a lot of people came into this stock after it moved up, right? Prior to two quarters ago, I, I feel like NVIDIA wasn't a name that. that people owned. I spy Jim Labenthal, but we'll talk about that in a second. Please continue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so a lot of people got in afterwards. And so let's see. How, how much diamond hands they have if you start having a technical breakdown in the stock. And so I think it really needs to hold here, Scott, because if you look at bounced off of like 415 the past two times and shot right back up, I think if you breach this 415 level, technically it looks weak. And so it's had a wonderful year, but I think that so many people got in afterwards that you're going to have people get shaken out of this name, which will put further downside pressure, getting close to that 200 day, which could happen. Jimmy Diamond Hands. Jimmy Jump. How does that sound? <laughs> you guys want to keep going? What do you think? Uh, I mean, you are yeah, one of no, those who got in she, was, fairly recently. I, w I was thinking of myself as well when I'm she glad. said that. No, I'm glad. Um, look, okay, so the number, Scott, that you just pointed out, 9% this week, 10% over, what, three months, that's the price of admission if you want a stock that has the potential returns and, frankly, the proven returns that NVIDIA has. I'm relatively new to this, so I don't want to sound like I'm the ax in it, but, you know, if you want these sorts of returns, you have to put up with volatility. Now, in terms of why this week, yeah, China, that's the catalyst, the export restrictions, but let's also face it, on a day like today, Today. This is a very heavy day in the market. We talked about that earlier, whether it's 5% on the 10-year or, as I think, it's the Middle East tensions. When people are looking to raise funds, there's a lot of reasons they're going to they're look at NVIDIA. One, the outsized returns. Two, as a derivative of that, it's large in people's portfolios who have held it during the year. So this is a natural place when you have a weekday like today to take some profits. I do not, just to be clear, look at the news over the last two days regarding the China export restrictions and say, oh, my God, the model for NVIDIA is broken. It's not broken. Demand for their chips is very high. Whatever curtailment is going to happen from China is likely to be met elsewhere because the basic truth is people can't get enough of their hands on enough of NVIDIA's chips. That's going to continue for the foreseeable. The only issue, Joe, for NVIDIA right now is NVIDIA is a victim of its own success. Absolutely. Because where the guidance has gone, and, and look, even, even though the, the stock is, is cheaper, from a valuation standpoint than, than when it was like six months ago, um, it's made everybody to believe that it is the player in, in AI. And the stock has followed that narrative. So let me give you an analogy uh, that our good friend Mark Fisher used to use. 
If someone pulls the fire alarm, the room is completely full for NVIDIA. And to Bryn's point, there's a tremendous amount that the price could fall down to that 200-day moving average. So it's one of the reasons why I've advocated for a reasonable valuation alternative, which Broadcom. is Broadcom. Okay. And Broadcom has actually been very resilient despite the news that we've heard this week with the restrictions that have been placed on a lot of these chips that are being sold into uh, the Chinese economy. So it's, it's at a reasonable valuation. And I also think with NVIDIA, look, my thesis surrounding the mega caps being the catalyst for a strong fourth uh, quarter, it's, there's, there's no I in team. I'm on team mega caps. I'm not saying any one of these individual stocks is going to be the stock that's going to lead us going forward. And when you observe all of these stocks, I'll go back to what I said initially. If you're studying position, boy, it's a pretty overweight positioning that's allocated towards NVIDIA. I mentioned Apple's the other story amid these reports that, you know, maybe this new iPhone is just not the barn burner that people were expecting it to be. Steve Kovac, our technology correspondent, joining us with that, because now that's becoming a, that's starting to take over the narrative. What was a good start is now like, hmm, what's going on? Yeah, that's exactly it. And look, Scott, there's good news and bad news here. The good news, you want a new iPhone this year, you can pretty much guarantee you're going to get one in time for Christmas. The bad news, of course, for Apple investors, demand appears to be slipping for the iPhone 15 lineup, and that could be harder for Apple to return to sales growth in this current holiday quarter. Now, analysts have been tracking iPhone 15 availability, meaning the percent of Apple stores that have phones available now if you walk in and try to pick one up. Availability was very limited that first week or so post-launch, but it's improved a lot in recent weeks. That's most important in China, a region accounting for as much as 20% of Apple sales. Bank of America saying up to 30% of Apple stores had stock last week for the iPhone throughout the U.S., Canada, China, and the rest of Asia. And Apple needs those markets to buy new iPhones this holiday quarter. Last year, factory shutdowns in China from COVID caused Apple to miss a lot of sales, and that had a rippling effect throughout this year. Meantime, analysts at Jeffrey saying this week Huawei overtook Apple as the top smartphone brand in China after releasing new flagship phones for the first time in a few years. And just this morning, Nikkei reporting iPhone unit shipments will be flat this year, while Huawei plans to make tens of millions of new phones next year. And also those flat unit sales puts more pressure on Apple to sell the more expensive pro phones to sell well and get Apple back to growth. Now, there are two ways to look at this, guys. Apple is now producing more iPhones enough to satisfy demand better or demand just isn't holding up enough, which is why availability has improved for the same time period compared to a year ago. Now, we're getting Apple's earnings report, of course, on November 2nd. That's going to include the first several days of iPhone 15 sales. So we'll get a little color there, Scott. Yeah, I appreciate it. Good comprehensive report from Steve Kovac, our technology correspondent. So, Bryn, um, you own it. I know you like it. But liking it and then looking at the chart are two different stories. And they do tell maybe two different stories. Oh, I mean, Apple's chart looks terrible. I think that I think 169 is the 200 day. So it's not that far. So, I mean, I think it could easily go there. I mean, I've been pretty consistent on saying this. What I would like to see from Apple is actually a, a coming back to top line revenue growth. Right. Because to me, the bugaboo I've always had with the stock is its earnings per share continues to grow because the per share 
continues to get smaller. And so that to me, you want to see good top line growth. And so I think it's had a good return this year relative to a Google and a Meta and some of the other names it's underperformed. But I just think we need to start coming back to top line growth or people are going to start saying this company has a rich multiple. This is a, an older name. It's done very well. But what multiple should we pay for this stock? So I think it's a very, very important name. It's the number one or two holding next to Microsoft in both the Qs and the S&P. But I think the technical weakness is just can't be ignored. Yeah, we'll keep our eyes there. Um, I mentioned you know, what's going on in D.C., uh, the House trying to elect a speaker uh, for the second straight day, at, at least according you know, to whether Jim Jordan is going to be uh, elected by his Republican colleagues. Emily Wilkins following it for us down there. Emily? Hey, well, at this point, the vote is ongoing, but Jim Jordan does not have enough votes at this point to become speaker. He could only afford to lose four Republicans. So far, he has lost six. And we are seeing members who voted for Jordan yesterday now going ahead and vote for other candidates. Now, this was expected. Jordan and his allies came out before the vote, said they expected this to happen and promised to keep fighting. But Republicans are already looking at other alternatives. You've heard a lot of talk this week about empowering speaker pro tem Patrick McHenry to be able to pass legislation. We are expecting a resolution to be introduced soon, potentially as soon as today from Dave Joyce that would give him those powers. And we are seeing more and more Republicans say, hey, you know, we put forward Scalise, we put forward Jordan, we still want McCarthy. None of this seems to work and we're going to have to find something else. Of course, the criticism that you've heard from Jordan and other Republicans to that plan is that they would likely have to work with Democrats to get that done. So it seems like we have a long ways to go at this point before anyone will be named Speaker of the House. All right, Emily, appreciate the update. Emily Wilkins down at the Capitol, as, as you can see there. Stocks, meantime, uh, session lows. This just sort of adding to the unease that investors are feeling between the war in the Middle East, what's happening in interest rates, um, the lack of a speaker down uh, in D.C., and the chaos that's just surrounded that whole process for the better part of the last few weeks. So we'll watch that coming up. We'll do our chart of the day. Morgan Stanley pacing for its worst day in more than three years. That's following earnings. Bryn also is making a big move relative to the bank, so we're going to reveal that. We'll trade the space. We'll do it next. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Pretty ugly day for the bank stocks today uh, leads us to Bryn, who's made a move and sold Goldman Sachs, which you've owned for a long time. So why now? Yeah, I've owned it for a few years uh, personally. You know, we explicitly moved out of financials for clients in August of 2022. I'd owned Goldman 
But when I look at today and I look out, what catalyst do I see to drive the stock higher? So I don't like financials in general. I just had held on to Goldman. And I just don't see a catalyst for meaning, meaningful returns going forward. But I do see a lot of headwinds in general. So I'd rather step to the side. Uh, I was pretty much flat on the name and just move on because I don't want to own things I don't have a high conviction of. And I still just don't like the financials going in late stage economic cycle. And I think Goldman will not be able to make money off IPOs. I think IPOs have not worked so far this year. So I don't think that's going to be a meaningfully part of their earnings. I think that's still on hold. Weiss? Yeah, so I, I, I don't blame Brent at all. I, I've chosen not to make that move. Mm-hmm. Um, I did reduce my position in Goldman, as I said, whatever, a week, two weeks ago. I do think management is great, but I see nothing but headwinds. I don't see any tailwinds for any of them. And this is not the point of time to initiate the position. Conversely, for me, having pretty nice gains in it, I don't think it's time to exit the position either. So B of A is what I'd call a subsistence position. Uh, Goldman is, is more than that. But there'll be an opportunity to buy these. Uh, but maybe that's six months away, so I'm prepared for more pain, but I'm staying there with it. There, there's nothing going right here. I'm not talking about internally. That's fine. I'm happy with the moves they made, the pivots they've made. Yeah. Morgan Stanley, I'd love to buy. Phenomenal management. They've executed you know, flawlessly. Gorman's executed flawlessly. And whether it's Ted Pick or, or Saperstein, they're going to be great running it. But I just think I have time to get in. But well, that's on my radar. See, it's interesting because... You could look at Goldman and say, well, the reason I'm not selling it now is because you you have to believe that the capital markets headwinds are behind us. Right. Which I don't. You don't. No. But I'm just saying, if you look at if you look at what Gorman said from from Morgan Stanley today, um, I'm thinking that this is one of the reasons why you stay in the stock. Mm -hmm. You don't sell it. Here's what he said on the call. The minute you see the Fed indicate they've stopped raising rates, the M&A and underwriting calendar will explode because there's enormous pent-up activity. I, I, I disagree with that. Uh, the you, pipeline, pra- you praise the management team right. and you, don't, you, you disagree with that comment? I, I do. Uh, that doesn't go to his management style. It goes to that he's got to be as every single CEO has to be. They've got to be an optimist, right? Oh, so really? I think, so I think, yes. You, you, you characterize the bank CEOs as optimists? No, I let mean, me give I, you, let me print out some Jamie Dimon l- speeches l- for l- you. Let me rephrase that. Let me rephrase that. They've got to be optimistic on their long-term positioning as a company, right? Short-term, they're honest. Gorman's honest also. In the short-term, it's not a question of I'm impugning anybody's uh, integrity. I'm just saying the mindset has to be optimistic about the company they're sure, leading. but don't you believe so, that when, when the Fed stops raising rates, that's, no. You, you don't think the capital markets business, M&A, IPOs, that's no. going to start to turn yeah. even more dramatically than what we're already seeing? You're not seeing a dearth of deals because of where rates are going to go. You're seeing them because of where they are. Yeah, but the implication here is that once they've stopped raising, then they're going to start cutting on the other side. But And I think that's flawed. I don't think we see any of that. Even, even look at Waller. Waller's statement. I mean, think about what he said. He said, we're going to wait and see if we raise rates th- further. He's not saying we're going to wait and see if the economy softens. And he said, if the economy softens, we'll wait to raise rates. Rates are staying higher for longer. So the dynamics, the calculation you have to do is, is this going to be accretive? Is this a worthwhile acquisition at those rates? No more. Number two, 
Look, the pipelines are monstrous. So I think it's the back half of 24 when they open, unless something really bad happens and we see rates actually being cut in the interim. So I think you can wait on it. Jimmy, you, you sold Goldman a few <clears throat> months ago. You do own JPM and City. Yeah, I, just on the sale of Goldman, you know how sometimes I say the market gets it wrong and it's usually my complaining about a stock that's been hit low? Three months ago when that quarter for Goldman came out, everybody thought they kitchen sinked it, the market that took the stock up. That was the market getting wrong on the upside and I took advantage of it. I partially agree with you, but I, I, I'm sorry, I mostly disagree and here's why. I, I do think, based on what I've said about inflation, I think the, the Fed's close to done. And to your point, I understand what you're saying is that it's not just the direction of rate, it's the level of rates. I mean, the late 90s was one of the most awesome times for M&A, for, for IPOs, for everything that would benefit Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, J.P. Morgan. And the 10-year was a heck of a lot higher on average then than it is now. So, you know, look, where I could be wrong is that maybe inflation isn't coming down and the Fed's going to just keep going up till, you know, 6% plus, and then all of these stocks and the whole market is going to stink. But I actually, as I already explained, I think the Fed, is done. I think Mr. Gorman's spot on here. And I think, you know, you're not going to get it this quarter, right? Because we're one month away from Thanksgiving. No, he's not we're, talking about this quarter. No, no, no. That's my point. It's quarter. first quarter of 2024. That was yeah. not a comparable period of time because you had the fourth industrial revolution, AI being the fifth, with the internet. And so you had this massive corporate creation of these dot-com companies, which eventually led to the major decline in the markets in 2000. That took the NASDAQ 10 years to recover. So they're not comparable periods. So I, I just disagree. I, I don't think there's any percentage of buying now. I think you'll have time. Maybe it's three months, not six no, that's months. Fine. That's but. fine. Uh, the headlines now with Christina Partsinevelos. Hi, Christina. Hi, Scott. Well, President Biden said the U.S. will provide $100 million in humanitarian aid to Palestinian people in Gaza and the West Bank. Supplies include water, food, hygiene supplies, as well as medical care, which will be facilitated through U.N. agencies and international NGOs. The Israeli Prime Minister's office also announced today it will allow certain humanitarian aid from Egypt into southern Gaza. The Senate Foreign Relations Committee is holding a hearing regarding Jack Lew's nomination as the U.S. ambassador to Israel. Lew served as Treasury Secretary under President Obama. He told senators today that he would work to, quote, ensure Israel has what it needs to defend itself. The U.S. vetoed a U.N. Security Council resolution that called for humanitarian pauses in the war between Israel and Hamas militants to allow aid to allow aid uh, access to gate in Gaza. The U.S. ambassador said they are doing work on the ground and want to see that diplom diplomatic play out. Uh, today, the U.N. Secretary General called for an immediate ceasefire to safely release hostages held by Hamas and to allow aid into the region. Scott, back to you. Christina, thank you. Christina Partsinevelos. Coming up, turbulence in the transports today. United Airlines, J.B. Hunt, other stocks within that space are down big. We do have ownership on the desk. We trade it next. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. Trouble in the transports. There's the IYT. That's bad enough. Look at it. United Airlines down 8%. We'll get to J.B. Hunt in a second. Um, Jimmy, 
American, Southwest, Alaska, JetBlue, all at new 52-week lows. You own Alaska and Delta. United is having its worst day since July of 22. That's the catalyst for this move. Yep. Um, well, oil, jet fuel, and the Middle East situation is a catalyst as well, obviously. But these stocks, what's up? So, not the stocks. That's what's up. Sorry. And I'm not making fun of it because I've owned it and I continue to recommend them. Um, if I look, you know, if I look at this price action, it would seem to indicate to me that people are worried that these companies are going to start losing money, have uh, bankruptcy brought on the table, uh, be parking airliners out in the Mojave Desert. And folks, it's just not where we are. Okay. Yes, there's an issue in the Middle East, which, by the way, is really what's driving the stocks over the last few days. When bullets are flying geopolitically, that's not a good uh, scenario for airlines. All that said, these are very profitable companies. And what I've been saying all along, these airlines mostly peaked about two and a half years ago. As they continue to accrue these profits, they're doing what they should. They're paying down debt, which increased a lot during the pandemic. And eventually that debt is going to get to a level where they're going to start returning capital to shareholders. The longer that this keeps up, and again, if you look at demand, not including flights to Tel Aviv, it is hanging in there quite strong, whether you look at TSA checkpoints or listen to what the CEOs are saying or listen to what the you know global travel agencies are saying that we've exceeded pre-pandemic levels. You, you've just got to have some faith that these things that are holding them back are temporary. Maybe it's false hope. I mean, well, look, three months, UAL down 33 mm percent, -hmm. Delta down 31 and a half, which you own as well. Yep. Alaska down 38. Boeing's its own story, which is down... Uh, and the jet CTF is down 28.5%. So even in the face of this incredible demand. And not just demand, but the actual operational performance. So let, let me just be clear about that. We're not talking about stocks that are missing their estimates and coming up with excuses for why. These are stocks that have consistently, companies that have consistently beat the estimates by a lot. Um, that's you know, the sort of situation I would hang on to. I would not sell, certainly, on these stocks are trading you know like what, four times earnings. Do you know what Bryn calls these? I'm sure it's something pithy and memorable and funny. <laughs> well, not funny for you. Destroyers of wealth. Okay. Right, Bryn? Yeah. I mean, it's just like, I mean, I think a lot of people agree you can rent the airlines and not own them. I mean, when I look at United, going back to 2006, the total return is 8%. Over the last five years, it's down over 50%. Southwest looks the same. American looks the same as well. And so I think these are just really tough to own long-term because they just continue not to make investors money. And so this is why people buy SPY and call it a day because you want to compound over time. So I just think they've been such destroyers of capital. It's, just, it's in the too hard camp. Everything Jim is saying is right, but the market doesn't care. The market has penalized fan. these stocks for over I'm, a decade. I'm sorry I have to do this. I'm not a big fan of looking at prior returns and saying that means this is a crummy stock going forward because honestly, you can do that on any stock and we can point it, any one of us can point at each other. I'm not going to do it. But, but I think what I mean, I was going to agree with you and say that's why there's that thing that says past performance is not indicative of future returns thing. Okay. However, if you look okay. at the past performance of these stocks, it actually is indicative but, of future returns. But the, but, but, the best I just want to finish the thought really yeah. quick. 
quickly. You can pick any industry, okay, including the tech darlings. I mean, remember last year? And I'm not pointing fingers at anyone here, but you can look at the tech darlings that are up so marvelously this year. And last year, they were dogs. They hold were absolutely Jim, we're not talking hold about on. one exactly. year's worth yeah. of Jim, past that, performance. Jim, that's exactly what you should be looking at when you're investing in a stock. You want to own permanent compounders like UNH. So it's okay to me that UNH was a top hold, but it's a permanent compounder. These are permanent, as as You're looking Brent in the said, detractions from wealth. As are autos, another sector that you'd love. The fact is, they're complementary. Steve, Steve, again, let, I can, Jim, Jim, I can Jim, find plenty Jim, of your stocks finish. that have had the I'm same performance. Jim, you well, missed the point. Don't tell me you're attacking, you, not attacking me when you, you come with You the GM, point. Okay? These companies historically sold at mid-single digits earnings multiples. That's where they belong. They can't control fuel. Not only that, in a declining consumer environment, they increase capacity by 15%. Oh, you're talking about 20 years ago. Again, I'm going back to where I look stated at where the, for, look for, at, look for two at and a half years. For two and a half years, these stocks have been highly profitable. They've been doing what they should with those profits. They're Paying down debt. Hang on, Steve. Paying down debt. And the point that I'm making is that when you say they should trade at four, five, six times. I didn't say that, four. Whatever. You said single digits, okay? And I'm just saying where they are okay. now. That goes back to a paradigm from 20 years ago when you were right in what you were saying. 20 years ago, they did add capacity. Right that is not where they are right okay. now. They are being very disciplined. Let, 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 and they're balancing Really quick, because I okay. want to Joe looks way too comfortable, right. and I need to talk to him about yeah, exactly. J.B. Hunt. So please, finish the, it up. The final statement is, it doesn't matter what we say. Look at the stocks. Look at the historical performance. And I do think past is prologue with companies. All right, J.B. Hunt, worst day since May of 22. I was going to look at a chart, but apparently Jim thinks I shouldn't look at the chart. So we'll just talk about the not business. in this case. The earnings for this company were expected to be awful. What's a word you could use that's worse than awful? Because that's exactly what happened. The management. Sure. Management. They weren't even the slightest degree confident about the outlook. So you're in a freight recession. This is, in the United States, the, the largest long-haul trucking company, and they're feeling the pain of a continued freight recession, which is showing the distortion in this so-called Goldilocks economy. Wait, so CSX then, you might, which reports tomorrow, which you have in the Joe T, you can't feel good about that one either then? You said we're in a freight recession. You Potentially, that would be... Uh, Something that you could say, yes, that's correct. <laughs> October yeah. 31st is coming. Yeah, you I shouldn't, mean, you know. I, based on the intermodal numbers that you I know it's hunts, coming, but I still want to ask you about it. I don't know yeah. if you want to feel great about it. All right, here, let's take another break. Up next, we're going to hit a few more stock movers in today's session. We're back. Just two minutes. Dow's down a little more than 200. Roblox, watching that one today, too, reversing its work-from-home policy, telling employees they have to go to the office three days a week or take a severance package. All right, Bryn, shares are down 30% in the last year. What do you have to say about this one? Because Jimmy was very excited in the commercial break that we were going to talk about this one now. <laughs> Touche. Touche, right? I exactly, sword, what I was, exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. Please. You know, so, so in... Uh, well, first of all, great for Dave Bazuki to get these people back to work. Wonderful things happen when you see people face to face. So, so you know what's interesting about Roblox, and this is like the market does not like this stock. And also, this stock has no E. And to me right now in this environment, when you have no E, 
that's going to be a challenge. I own a couple names, Tesla, Roblox are one of them, that I put in the bucket of these are giving me VC type exposure, but with the rigor of the public market. I don't like VC in the, in the real VC market because you're tied up. And so once again, this is kind of a flyer. But when I look at what Roblox is able to do, last quarter, revenue up 15%, bookings up 15%, average daily of average users up 25%. And so they continue to do better and better. But once again, there's no E. So no. It's, it's not going to, I think, re-rate itself until Dave Bazuki and team can actually start delivering earnings, which, which may or may not happen anytime soon. So okay. it has not been a good use of capital. I got you. Um, real quick, Joey, um, Lamb Research, I wanted to hit that too because it has earnings after the bell, Lamb which, which you own in the Joe T. Core holding, semi-equipment name. I believe it's a core holding. It's right up there with my uh, ownership of Broadcom. Okay, we're back right after this. Grade my trade time, Weiss. We haven't done this in a while, so we're going to do it today. Uber uh, from Ann in New Jersey owns 50 shares at $43.30. What's the grade? I own it. I own it at lower level, so I'm holding on to it. Uh, I think it'll be okay long term, great management, but it's not a great stock for this environment. Uh, given it's it's a high growth stock, don't do well in sustained yeah, but hasn't uh, it, like, tightening. It's done incredibly well. Yeah, I said it's done incredibly well. She just no, but I mean, the, but rates have already been. We've already been in a high rate environment. Yeah, it's it's plateaued. Look, the benefits for it are that if labor pool, you know, increases, more people are looking for jobs. Their cost of drivers, what they have to pay, will be lower. So I'm holding it. I like it, but it's somewhat of a, you know, volatile play. Okay, Bryn from Keith in Ohio on Devon. It's about nine percent of Keith's portfolio. Fifty-three dollars, roughly a share. What should we do here? That's a big position. So, uh, well, I give you an F, but I give myself an F because I own it also. So I do think uh, Rick Moncrief, the CEO, will turn it around. The problem is the free cash flow yield. This time last year it was 9%. It's below 3%. They need to turn that around to bring investors back to the stock. All right. Final trades are next. All right, 3 o'clock Eastern, we're going to count you right down to Tesla and Netflix, two critical earnings reports coming right in overtime. Alex Kantrowitz with me, Jason Snipe, Dan Ives, Liz Young with us as well. She can assess what it means, what's happening in the market more broadly as well. So let's do final trades. Bryn, you're first. I want to continue to focus on companies with a high free cash flow yield. Cows, C-O-W-Z, has a free cash flow yield of almost 9.5%. All right, Weiss. Bitcoin. So I have a speculative position in Bitcoin. There's no use case. It's been around for 13 years. and never will be a use case. But the scarcity of it because of the ETFs, I think it goes higher. Jimmy, I Di- to it Jimmy Diamond hands. <laughs> That's exactly right. Oracle. <laughs> Easy valuation to buy and own at this level. All right, Joey T. Hard to find a, a stock that's up on a day like today when the bears are in control, but Adobe's one of them. All right, good stuff. See where we are a couple hours from now in closing bell. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. 
opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report disclaimer. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.